right. Well, good morning, Doxa. Man, it is, uh, it's great to see you guys today. If you've, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks as we've started this church, you know we've been working our way through a, a three-week teaching series that we have titled Marked, all right? And we've been looking at these different things that we have been marked with. And today we're going to kind of wrap up that, that series um, in, in looking at this reality that, that we have all been marked for glory. But before we jump into this, okay, and, and dig into that, I want to give you just a little bit of vision of, of where we're going for the, the next year, really, as we, as we gather here on Sundays with Doxa, as we gather in our, our connection groups throughout the city and throughout the week, but uh, next week we're going to head into uh, a brand new teaching series that is going to be a year-long series that we're going to teach through the Gospel of Luke, and I, and I believe this is going to be so much fun. I think it's going to be so fruitful for our church and really beneficial as we wrestle with this idea of, of who is Jesus, and what does that mean for, for me as a man, for you as, as men and women who live in this city? How does that shape us and inform the way that we live and the way that we view the world around us? It's going to be great because Jesus claims that, that he's good news for all people, and so we're going to do some work over the next year and, and really figure out what that means. And, and throughout this teaching series through Luke's gospel, we're going to take a break right around Christmas time for the Advent season, and then we're going to take another one uh, right around Easter. And, but as we, as we look at Luke's gospel, all right, I want to ask you to do something, okay? Um, maybe challenge you, however you want to word it. I want to ask you to just simply read. All right, that the best way to, to study the Bible, to experience the gospel, is to first get into the Bible, which is going to point you to the gospel, that every page of your Bible points you to Jesus. He's the, he's the point of the entire Bible. And I know that when we talk about reading the Bible, there's, there's many different people in different boats in, in here, right? That some of you guys, you're, you're super disciplined and you read your Bible every day for hours a day, and that's great. Others of us, we, we, we maybe struggle. Right, and you haven't read your Bible. You, you don't. You, maybe it's a, it's a discipline thing in your life. Maybe it's just something that you're like, man, I've this has been beaten into me as like a religious duty. I just don't get a lot of joy out of it. And maybe you're just like, I don't understand. Here's what I'd say, guys. I just want to challenge you just to to read. All right, just read through the Gospel of Luke over this next year with us. All right, and when we talk about reading the Bible, there's basically two ways that I think about it: reading for mileage and reading for message. And so when we talk about reading for mileage, it's, it's really just opening up like you would open up a regular book and you would just read. You don't stop on words that you get confused on or ideas. You're like, I don't know what that means. You just simply just read and you get the big picture understanding of, of what's going on. Now, when you read from message, it's, it's maybe when you grab some commentaries and some other Bible study tools and you stop and you do word studies and you, you really dig in and you spend a lot of time in a certain place trying to understand. I want to invite you guys to read for mileage. Whether that's a half a chapter a day, a chapter a day, and just read the Gospel of Luke. And then we, when we gather here on Sundays, we're going to basically go, be going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we'll do some work of, in stopping and saying, okay, this is what this means. This is what it means. And then we'll get together in our connection groups and really just apply this and wrestle with each other and say, what would it look like for me to live in this reality? How do I respond to God? And so we're going to start that journey next week. But today... As we wrap up this, this first series, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1. Again, if you, if you don't have a Bible, guys, we, we have a bunch of Bibles on our welcome table. We'd love to give you one. This is a big part of, of who we are as Doxa, that we, we gather around the Bible and the gospel every time that we gather here at the Sheridan. And so we open up the Bible together and we simply just read and figure out what this means to us. And so we want you to kind of be part of the life of Doxa. And a big part of that is to open up the Bible with us as we seek to hear from God. So if you don't have a Bible, you can stop at the welcome table on your way out. But Genesis chapter 1. Because here's the reason why we, we chose to start here. Genesis is a book of beginnings, right? It's, it's a book of origins. This is what Genesis actually means. And when we consider our lives, guys, 
nothing really makes sense unless you start in the beginning. I don't know if you guys, have you guys heard of like Facebook Marketplace? All right, to my best understanding, it's, it's like an online garage sale, okay? Um, my wife does a lot of business. I don't know what you do on there, right? And you just do a lot. But it's been great for us because, you know, like having kids and, you know, toys these days. Like, literally, like Lily gets a, a princess castle for her birthday or something. And I might as well buy a real castle. That's how much it costs, okay? So Facebook Marketplace has been great for us. You get used toys and all this stuff. But when you go and buy a, a castle at the store, right? It's, it comes in a box and, and you open up the box, everything is neatly wrapped and it's labeled and, and it's got directions, it's got a picture and it's, it's not that hard to, to put together, right? Facebook Marketplace is a, is a little bit different, right? You go and you give people like five bucks and then they kind of hand you a trash bag full of pieces, right? And you just hope they're all there and you get home and you just empty it out and like, you guys wanna see me at my very worst, okay? Find out when my kids' birthdays are or Christmas and just stand outside the window of my house and I get so frustrated. It's, I'm not proud of it, okay? It's, it's terrible because you empty out this bag and there's just stuff everywhere. You're like, okay, there's glitter piece here, glitter piece. They probably go together. I don't know what this thing's supposed to look like. Guys, when you try and put this castle together, it's the most confusing, frustrating thing about my life, okay? That's dramatic, but it's kind of true, okay? Guys, I, I say that as a stupid example, but I say that to say this. I think the same is, is true with our lives. That we need to start at the beginning to, uh, to understand how things were created to be, what the picture is supposed to look like. The great German theologian, Helmut Tillich, he was, he's been very helpful in my understanding of this. Is he said it like this. He says, it's if a human history is a dramatic play in which God is the, the playwright and there's been acts and scenes before us and then we're born and we kind of come out onto the stage of human history. And when that happens, when we come out on the stage and we're born, we have no idea what the storyline is. We have no idea who the heroes are. We have no idea who the villains are. We have no idea who the playwright is. We don't know when the story began. We don't know when the story is gonna end. We don't know what our lines are. We don't know what we're supposed to do. And so we end up with a life of just great confusion and perplexity. And because of this reality, people are then kind of just homeless or lost as they, as they walk and, and navigate through life. And oftentimes for, for many people, life feels without meaning and it's really confusing, which can lead to depression, loneliness, isolation, all of that stuff. Because we don't know where we come from, we don't know where we're going, and we don't know why we're here. And what we've been trying to do throughout this teaching series is, is not only lay the foundation of our young church, but also really to, to paint a picture of what life has been created to be about, who we are as people and what we're to be doing with the life that, that we have been given. And as we've looked at, at Genesis chapters one through three over the last several weeks, we've discovered, guys, that the prime reality is that we all come from God. That using Tillich's metaphor here, we, we know that God is the playwright, that he's the creator of the story, that he's created us and he's created us in his image to walk through life with him until we come to meet him when our life here on earth is over. And we've, we've talked about this, this reality that we have been marked, all right, that we've been marked by glory, that Psalm 24 calls God the king of glory. All right, that he has created everything. We, we see that just like a king is powerful, that God spoke, and as he spoke, he created everything out of nothing. And, it, and it, it's a reflection of his glory that you can walk through this city, you can look around our town and just see glimpses of the glory of God in his beauty, in his power, by looking at the lakes, by looking at the parks, like looking at all of these different things. We know that we have been marked by glory, that he is a, glory, he is a glorious God. 
But not only did he create everything in in our city for us to to see and to enjoy, he's also created us, and he's created us in his image. So if you follow the the logic, right, that we have a a glorious king who has created us in his image, so the reality is, is that we have all been marked with glory. And what that practically means, guys, is that every single person is very significant. Every single person, regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, gender, lifestyle, all of that, everybody has dignity, value, and worth, period. We're marked with glory. Now, while we live our lives here in the presence, guys, we hear, we're here to, to bring glory to God and to work with God to bring good to the world around us. And I want you to know that, guys, that you have a purpose in this world. And despite what culture so subtly tells us, and maybe not even so subtly, guys, your purpose is not about your own glory. It's not about advancing your career. It's not about gaining status and money and all of that stuff, but it's about the glory of God. And it's about the advancement of his kingdom of glory. This is what we're all involved in. This is how we've been created. We have been created with a purpose. And my hope is that we begin not just to understand this reality, but to live in it. And there's a big difference, all right? Part of the reason that the church has so many, so, so many issues in our, in our world is because we, we hear things from the Bible. We understand concepts and we have this theological construct, but we don't do anything about it. And my hope is that we begin to understand this and then step into it and actually live. Because when that happens, because all of a sudden, now when we're born, we walk through life and our life has meaning. It has worth, it has value. And there is a very intense practical purpose to why you exist. And guys, that is empowering. It's something that every single person, you read studies and books, everybody is dying to figure out what is my purpose in this world. And when we step into this reality, we we begin to understand where we come from, where we're going, and why we're here. And so let's do a little bit of work on this, okay? We're going to figure out what it means for us to be marked for glory. All right, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start. So God is, is creating and this is where we come to the, the, the pinnacle, the climax of his creation in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We talked about this last week, being created in the image of God and all the implications that come with that. And let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And this is the big one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And check out this, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, and I want you to circle this next part in your Bible, be fruitful and multiply. This is the issue. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now guys, here's what we have, all right? God created everything. And as he creates, he creates human life and then he speaks to the humanity that he created and he essentially gives them what they're supposed to do with the life that he had just given them. And in essence, what he does is he gives them two things. He gives them a physical mandate and he gives them a spiritual mandate. And it all revolves around this idea of multiplication. 
Okay, so multiplication is the issue. And here's what I want to do as we get into this. I want to start by giving you just a very brief biblical theology of gospel multiplication. And then we're going to kind of dive in and figure out what this actually means in our lives in a very practical way and how we live this out here at Doxa. But when we look at the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus, we see that Jesus taught a lot about this idea of multiplication. All right, that this wasn't just a, a Genesis chapter one thing where, where God was speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden. But Jesus, he, he continued to teach this all throughout his life and all through his ministry while he was here on earth. And one of the ways that he would talk about this is, the, is he would talk about the kingdom of God. And I want to show you this, okay? Because this is really significant to us understanding what it means to be fruitful and multiply. So if you look at Gen, or Luke chapter 13, it's going to be here on the screen. You can just write that down. You don't need to turn in your Bible. But Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, he asks them a question. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? And this is the issue. As we start talking about being fruitful and multiplying, as we start talking about this idea of, of being marked for glory, guys, it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about your kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about your glory or my glory. It's about the glory of God. And this is where our understanding of the creation mandate of multiplication begins to actually get rich and deep and intensely practical. It's when we consider the idea and the reality that, that multiplication is about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, he's talking to his disciples here in, in Luke 13, and he's basically saying, what is a tangible illustration I can give to you to help you understand what the kingdom of God is like? And if you follow back in there, look what he says. He says, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like this little seed that gets planted in the ground, and then it grows up to be one of the biggest plants in the entire garden. And so Jesus gives us this picture of growth, of, of this thing that is growing and multiplying and spreading out. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And from the very beginning, this is God's plan. This is God's plan for the, the expansion of his kingdom. This is God's plan for us as his people. And I want you to know, guys, that you have been marked for this glorious purpose, that this is part of why you exist, to grow and to be fruitful and multiply. And this is what Jesus is describing here. And you see this all the way through the Bible. In Genesis, a little bit later in chapter 9, Right after the, the cataclysmic flood that wiped out humanity, God talks to, to Noah and his sons. And he tells them the exact same thing as that he told Adam and Eve. He says to be fruitful and multiply. A little bit later in Genesis chapter 17, he's speaking to Abraham and to Ishmael. And he tells them the exact same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. You go to Genesis chapter 28, he's speaking to Jacob. And again, you hear, be fruitful and multiply. And it goes all the way through the Old Testament. And if you, if you know history, at the end of Genesis, all right, Jacob's family is around 70 people. And Jacob's family goes into to Egypt and 400 years later, they come out. God brings them out of, of a terrible situation in Egypt. And they don't come out a family of 70. They come out a nation of millions. But guys, this is God's plan for multiplication. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about being marked for glory. It's growth and it's movement. And it all centers around this idea of gospel multiplication. Now, here's the thing. Guys, this mandate doesn't mean just have a bunch of kids and go physically multiply, 
right? Some of you guys are thinking like, maybe you're like nudging your wife, you hear him, you told him, hey, we gotta go practice, you know, or whatever. I don't know, that's a weird sex joke, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right? But he is saying there is something about this, right? That to go and physically multiply, but it's not just a physical thing because when you read the Bible in its entirety, you understand that this is a deeply spiritual thing. Because if you consider this, okay, if you take this and just kind of cherry pick this verse from the Bible and be like, okay, be fruitful and multiply, we gotta have a bunch of kids. If you go and you have 15 kids and you physically multiply, but they're all like miniature demons, right? I mean, that's like multiplication, but that is not fruitful multiplication, right? That there's something spiritual because the purpose of having kids is not just to have physical offspring and physical descendants, but it's multiplying the image of God. It's a physical thing and a spiritual thing. And so this command to multiply is more than just go have kids. All right, it's, it's have kids made in the image of God who will take that image of God and spread it over the earth. This is what he's talking about. So in a very real sense, guys, what we can learn from Genesis 1 is that our created purpose is not just to multiply and have kids, but to multiply the life of Jesus in our kids and in the people around us. Really, it's helping people know and follow Jesus. This is gospel multiplication, and we see this repeatedly through the Old Testament. And even as we get into the New Testament in the book of Acts, which is a, a, a historical account of how the early church got started, we see this. I wanna show you just a couple passages, all right? In Acts chapter six, all right, we, we see this. It says in verse one, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, disciples, these are Christians, they were increasing in number, that people were, were coming to meet Jesus, right? That the church wasn't just this, this holy huddle that existed for itself, but it existed for the world around them. And they saw people come to know Jesus and Christians were increasing in number. And if you go on, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. That people were coming to know Jesus. Because this is awesome. In Acts chapter 12, you see this, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And then in Acts chapter 13, and the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. Guys, we, we see this idea that the gospel is going out and it's impacting people and people are coming to Jesus. Their lives are being changed, their families are being changed and everything is beginning to change around them. Guys, this is God's plan. This is multiplication. And I want you to know that you're very important for this plan and God has created you and marked you for it. And I wanna let you in on something. Some of you guys, like when you, you're coming to Doxa and you think by coming to Doxa, you're just coming to church. And I want you to know that that's kind of wrong. All right, because you're not just coming to church, but you're involved in building a world for the kingdom of God. That this is what we're all about, multiplying and moving the kingdom of God forward and seeing people come to know Jesus. This is gospel multiplication and it's God's good plan. It's so good. And I'll pause and say this, okay? Because some of you guys, if you're a Christian and you're coming from a Christian worldview and the Bible is held high in your life and in your family and your house, you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, I understand why this is good news. This is, this is great. We want people to come to know Jesus and all this stuff. But I know that not everybody here is, is a Christian and, and maybe you're, you're reading the Bible for the first time right now this morning and you're, and you're thinking about this and you're hearing these things and you're saying, okay, I'm following maybe what you're saying. I don't understand why this is such good news. And that's a legit question. Why is, is this a good plan? Why is it good news? And, and I'll say this, number one, guys, it's good news because we believe that Jesus is God. 
And because Jesus is God, everything that he said is true. And because everything he said is true, we know that Jesus gives meaning and value to all of our lives. That this world has so many voices and we need to decide which voices we, we listen to, which voices shape us. We listen to Jesus through his voice throughout the Bible above all others because we know that he's God and we know that he's the answer to every single question that we have. The second thing I would, I would tell you is this, is it's good news because multiplication has the end goal of salvation and restoration. All right, guys, that, that our world is broken and it's messed up. And the people that live in this broken, messed up world, you and I, we are especially broken and messed up. We all have issues. I mean, just this past week, right, this, this shooting that happened in our city, you, you see that. And I don't know about you, but you're watching this on the news and, and I'm like, okay, do I take my daughter to school? And, and I'm like, I don't know if I should because it's right by that. What if someone comes in and, and shoots her? And you think about this, like it, we're not supposed to think about this. The world is broken. People do horrific things and none of us are above any of that, that we all have that potential in us. It's sin in our world. But in the midst of all of that brokenness, guys, there's hope. There's hope for restoration. And I want you to know that the answer, guys, is multiplication. It's gospel multiplication. It always comes back to Jesus. Now, here at Doxa, this idea of gospel multiplication, it literally drives everything that we do. All right, that if there's two things we're about, it's Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. And the way that this happens is by doing what God says. It's to hear his voice and respond to it. And so I want to cast some vision of how we seek to do this, how we join God for this created purpose, what he has designed his church to do. All right, and our mission statement is, is basically the thing that tethers us to this glorious plan of God restoring the world. And so what we do in response to what we're learning, we, we read the Bible and then we say, okay, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for our church? And the way we respond is that we share the gospel in our lives. Share the gospel in our lives. I want you to write that down somewhere because this is a big thing. Like this is what we're about. If you're wondering, man, what are, this, what are these people about? What is, what is they doing? This is what we do. It's nothing sexy. It's nothing overly complicated. We, we share the gospel in our lives. This is our mission statement that we exist to share the gospel in our life for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And here's the thing, guys, when we actually do this, I was talking about this with our staff just before the service. If people, if God's people actually did this, that didn't just come here and say, mm, that's, that's encouraging, that's really good, but actually left here and did that, guys, we would see God do something amazing in our lifetime we would see hundreds or thousands of people say yes to Jesus. We would watch, we would have a front row seat of watching the kingdom of God expand and multiply and grow. And I've been praying to that effect for the last couple years as we've been preparing to start this church. We would see our city change, share the gospel in our lives. And so I want to spend the rest of our time just looking at that statement. And we get this language from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you want to go there, turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at this, this reality, okay? So I'll, I'll give you this, this idea of what's going on here. All right, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to a church in the city of Thessalonica. All right, and he's talking to them about how he did ministry amongst them. 
And for Paul, as he, as he watched Jesus, as he knew the scriptures, he understood that, that ministry, multiplication, right, a life for God is about a couple different things. It's about proclamation and demonstration. All right, so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, right along your column in your Bible, I want you to write proclamation and demonstration. This is a big thing that you always need to come back to and remember this is how I live for the glory of God. This is part of it. Right? And so Paul, this is the way he, he's describing the way he did ministry, and it's important for us. And so let's read this. In, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, I want you to circle gospel, not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, circle ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. And so guys, when we, when we talk about this, we, we got to break this down, because right? there's a couple different components to this. Paul talks about sharing the gospel of God, and then he also adds on top of that our own selves. And so when we talk about the gospel, this is something, right, if, if you've been here, if this is your first time, you've heard that word probably 50 times, and you're like, wow, they really like that word. Yes, we love that word, because it points to the person that we do love, and it's Jesus. And so the question that we all have to wrestle with is, is what is the gospel, and for Christians, we need to hear this every day. We need others to preach it to us. We need to preach it to ourselves. For, for those of you who maybe wouldn't call yourself a Christian at this point, this is something that you need to know because the gospel drives everything about our family here at Docs. It's the foundation that we stand on. It's everything. And the gospel, guys, is this, is that there's one God, and he's the creator of everything, that he's created us in his image Meaning that you've never locked eyes as you walk around this city, as you walk around your neighborhood, you have never locked eyes with someone that doesn't mean a significant amount to God. That really this means that every single person in this world, born or unborn, has dignity, value, worth, and purpose. And he's created humanity. He's created you and me to live with him, to be in a relationship and to worship. But instead of choosing God, we see this in, in Genesis, the first three chapters. Instead of choosing God, we chose sin every single one of us. And sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is it takes the created relationship that we were meant to have and it breaks, it separates us from God. And this is, as a result, where we exist, separated from God. And we live, all of humanity, guys, we live under the foolish myth that to some degree we are in effect our own God. We decide what's right and wrong. We decide what's true and false. And we walk through life and we do as we please. We have no regard for God. But in the midst of this rebellion, as people did this, guys, God lovingly entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. He died a death that I should have died. And he was killed in my, my place for my sin to bring me to God. That in the garden, this place that we've been studying the last couple weeks, Adam and Eve substituted themselves for God. They said, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going to listen to my own voice. And they substituted themselves for God. Jesus, on the cross, reversed that substitution by giving himself as a substitute for sinners, me and you. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the good news that we cling to. This is the thing that we proclaim that as we talk about gospel multiplication and what we exist for, we need to know that it's all about Jesus. And, and I know that, guys, not all of us are on the same page. 
right? That some of us, we, we don't see Jesus like that. We, we don't understand Jesus like this. And if that's you, I just want to say, man, I'm, I'm pumped that you're here. I'm honored to teach you the Bible. I'm glad that you're getting to experience the, the Doxa family. But I would also say this to you guys. The gospel for you today is this. It's that the thing that brought you here today is not a thing, but it's a man, and his name is Jesus. And he's brought you here Guys, to break into your life, to show you who he is, to show you who he has created you to be so that you can step into a new reality, a new future of hope through faith in Jesus, that he wants to save you from yourself. He wants to save you from your sin and he wants to give you all the blessings that are a result of his perfection, all right? That he wants to bring you to God, to close that separation. This is, I know this for a fact that on our own, we would not be drawn to come to a church, it's, it's the Spirit of God working in our world that brings people to himself. This is what I believe, and this is what the Bible teaches, and he's brought you here for that. And guys, I can say that, man, we desperately want that for you. I mean, this is why, guys, we do all of this. This is why we, we came to Madison. This is why this church started, is to see people understand this. And this is what Paul proclaimed. Look back at verse 8. He said, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, this is the thing that he proclaimed, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. He says his life, he shares his self with you. So in addition to proclaiming, as he went from city to city, in addition to proclaiming the gospel, what did Paul do? He gave of himself. He spent time with people. Much of his missionary gospel work took place as he walked through the everyday stuff of life with people, as he worked with people, as he was neighbors with people. It wasn't just about bringing people to the synagogue and bringing people to church. It was like, let's get with people and just actually live life and give of myself. What a radical concept to actually love the people and spend time with the people that are around you. This is what Paul did, that he gave himself. Look, ver look at verse 7. He gave himself like a mother gives himself or herself to their kids. Look at verse seven. He says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I don't, if you've ever seen a, a nursing mother, right? Some of you guys, some of you ladies, no, some of you guys didn't just have babies, right? We take credit for that. We're like, oh yeah, we just had a baby. Oh, you didn't? No, we didn't. My wife reminds me of that. Okay. Some of you ladies just had babies, right? And if you've ever been around a, a nursing mom, it's unbelievable. I have grown in, in my appreciation and my respect for, for mothers and for women and what you do, but a nursing mother, Paul is saying, this is the way that we acted when we were amongst you. This is the way that we did ministry. This is the way I viewed my life, that I gave myself like a mother gives to her child. That if you've ever seen a nursing mother, I mean, she gives her time, her energy, her body, right, to, to allow this child to grow. And Paul is saying, this is the way that, that we did ministry and how I lived among you. I gave myself to you to help you, not just to take something from you. And he saw people differently. And guys, I say this all the time, and I say it because I need to be reminded of it because of my sin and the way that I view people, and we all need to be reminded of it. But Paul saw people different. Because that all of us fall into uh, one of three ways that we see people. We see people as scenery, machinery, or ministry. Some of us, we, we walk through life and literally it's just like we see people, we walk right past them and we don't even acknowledge their existence. They might as well be a tree or a fire hydrant that you walk past. You don't care about people. You don't love people. You maybe don't even make eye contact with people. It's, it's just how you do. It's how you approach life. 
Other people, you see them as, as machinery, that the only time you're going to engage with people is if they can add value to your life, if they can do something for you. It's a very mechanical view of humanity that I will love you and I will tolerate you if you actually add something to my life. That's not how Paul did. That's not how Jesus did. He gave himself as a, as a nurturing mother. He viewed people as ministry. And he gave of his life, guys, this radical thing. And so this is how we join God in his plan for multiplication. It's through proclamation and demonstration that we exist to share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And guys, when we actually share the gospel and our lives, when we proclaim and demonstrate, God will be glorified. Your life will be so radically different that you will be the most popular person in the city. Not because you have something charismatic about you and you're beautiful and talented and all that stuff, because you are actually living out of the overflow of the love of God and people will be drawn to that because that is what the love of God does. It draws people in. And God will be glorified because then you simply say, man, I'm as broken and jacked up as you, but what you're seeing is not me and how great I am, you're seeing Jesus. He's the answer and we point to him. This is all we do. We point to him. He's the answer and he will be glorified and people will say yes to him. The kingdom of God will multiply and grow in such a way that it will bring good to the city around us. Guys, this is the plan. Now I want to end with showing you what actually happens because maybe you're like, okay, you're, you're hypothesizing on what actually would happen if we did this. Go to Acts 17 and this is how we'll end up. Acts 17 In Acts 17, we get a picture of how Paul did ministry and as a result, what happened in the city of Thessalonica. So Paul is, was describing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 what he did in Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, we get a picture of what happened. All right? And this is a description of, of what happened in, because of his ministry. Acts 17, chapter, verse 1. Now when they had passed through those two places, I can't read that well, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue for Jews. And Paul went in, and was, as was the custom, on the, on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving what is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so you see right there in the first three verses, Paul is, is proclaiming. Right? It's, it's his view of, of proclamation. I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Now, verse 4, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So Paul is, is going into Thessalonica. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's living amongst people that you notice where they, where do they try and find him? At Jason's house. Why? Because Paul was always with people. He was giving of himself like a nurturing mother, a nursing mother. He was with people and he was demonstrating the gospel. And Jason likely had like a workshop at his house and Paul was working there and he was just sharing the gospel in his life as he went about this. And so they go to Jason's house and they're looking for him. And I, and I love what happens. Guys, look at verse six. 
These people, they find Jason, they find Paul, and they say, these people, these men, have turned the world upside down, and they've come here also. That as Paul shared the gospel and his life, people around were saying, something is happening. I don't know exactly what it is. They're claiming it's Jesus, but the only way that I can describe what is happening is that they're flipping the world upside down. Everything is changing. And you guys want to practically know what flipping the world upside down looks like? Because you're looking at it right now. It is a gospel-changed life. There is no reason outside of Jesus that I'm standing here right now. Guys, I am a broken, messed up man with a broken, messed up past that Jesus in his love and kindness broke in and saved me from myself and saved me from my sin and made me into the man I am today. And I know some of you are like, you're not even that great. I know, okay? I'm working on it. Jesus is still, he's not done. I'm not dead, right? And so there's hope. It's a gospel changed life. Next week when we do baptisms, we're gonna get a picture of the world being flipped upside down. With every single person that goes under the water, you're realizing, you're seeing that that is a result of someone proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the gospel in such a way that these people saw Jesus and they said, I'm in. Yes. And we celebrate that. It all comes back to the gospel. It's Jesus. And even when God in the garden said, be fruitful and multiply, it's pointing to this idea of reproducing the life of Jesus in our kids and everybody around us. And so here's how we're going to end, guys. To remind us of this reality, we're going to sing songs. And every song that we sing, it's about Jesus, right? And we're also going to take communion. We have two stations in the back, and, and during these last two songs, I want to invite you to go back and to take communion, that you rip off a piece of bread that reminds us that Jesus died for us, and you dip it in the juice as a symbol of his blood that somehow makes us clean. And in communion, just to give you a glimpse of what communion actually is, it's an opportunity for you to stop. And it's an opportunity for you to stop and to look backward, to look inward, and to look forward. That you look backward, and you realize that we have a king of glory that created everything, that he created me. And you look backward and you see how this king of glory, Jesus, he died for me. He made a way. He flipped the world, my world, upside down. And we celebrate that and we say, thank you. And then we look inward and we say, Jesus, what in me right now is preventing me from reflecting you in such a way to this world that people would see you? because I know that I have been marked for glory and I don't want to get in the way of people seeing your glory because I want people to say yes to Jesus. And you say, what is that in me right now? And you repent and you ask him just to kill it. And then we look forward, knowing that through faith in Jesus, we have a glorious future that we're able to celebrate. And this is when this place erupts in praise and why people have their hands in worship and are singing loudly because we're so thankful for all that Jesus has done. So as you take communion, I want to encourage you, look backward, look inward, and look forward. And remember that it's all about the glory of God. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you um, 
man, as even as I, I think about the world being flipped upside down, I'm just humbled and um, just want to say thank you for, for saving my life, for allowing me to be your kid. That you, you look at me and you don't see all the nastiness in my life, you don't see all the sin in my life, all the ways that I fall short of being a good husband and a good dad and a good friend and just a, a man of God. You don't see all that stuff, but you see Jesus. And you're patient and you're loving with me. Thank you that the gospel is, is true. God, and I just pray that even as we sing these songs, as we take communion, that you would just cause us to stop and just remember that before we go out and try and do anything for you in this world, that we would stop and just thank you for what you've done in our life. Knowing that it's you that saves lives, it's you that redeems families, it's you that changes stories, it's you that brings about the growth of your kingdom, that you use broken people like us. And would you just help us to encounter you, Jesus, and the gospel in such a way that we would leave this place living out of the overflow of love that we've experienced from you. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that in this time that you would help us to just really worship, that you would convict us of sin and empower us by your grace and your strength to walk out of here, people that exist for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name.